1: Welcome, everybody, to episode 668 of First Class Fatherhood, a family-made media podcast. And it is time for another Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. Joining me on the podcast today is former Navy SEAL Tommy Asito. Tommy Asito served our country with the most elite military force on the planet, the United States Navy SEALs. And Tommy is involved in something right now that is going to fundamentally change the future of health care, not just in this country, but around the world. He's going to talk to us all about uh, the effects of cybicillin, his own personal experience with it, and how it's going to be great, not just for um, men and women of the military who are suffering with PTSD, but people who are suffering through childhood trauma or any type of traumatic situation that is going on in their lives. Uh, I know just in the last episode, you guys, if you tuned into my interview with Dr. Joseph Latipo, the Florida Surgeon General, he discussed in that episode how he was sexually abused as a child. It's something that plagued him almost his entire life until he got the help through his wife of a uh, Navy SEAL who helped him on a path to healing his pain and suffering and this is the interview that i was referring to in the previous episode tommy aceto is working uh, with a number of people on getting this thing right and getting it out to the masses so half of this interview is going to deal with cybacillin the studies the effects the future of it the other half is going to deal with tommy's own personal story and what he is having to overcome which includes not seeing his own children for several years uh, find out how, find out why, and what it has cost Tommy and his hope for the future. I had the honor of meeting Tommy Aceto a few years ago at the Navy SEAL Swim, the first time that I covered it. I met up with Tommy again this past August uh, when I covered the Navy SEAL Swim once again. I'm really honored that he's going to take the time to join me here on the podcast. I really was looking forward to this. We talked about it in August. We finally got it done. So Tommy Aceto will be here with me in just a few minutes. So please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Tommy Asito was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation between the Navy SEAL and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, if you guys enjoy my interviews with the Navy SEALs, please take a second to go through the archives of the show here and check out so many of the U.S. Navy SEALs who have took the time to join me here on the podcast and share their fatherhood journeys. There are so many of them go through, uh, including Medal of Honor recipients Michael Thornton, Ed Byers, Bob Kerry. Also, Navy SEALs like Jocko Willink, Marcus Luttrell, the Stumpf. Just go through the list. Uh, if you guys enjoy listening to the Navy SEALs as much as I do, you will love so many of the interviews that I've done with them. So go check them out. Be sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the upcoming guest announcements. We are getting ready to close out this year here of 2022, which has been a phenomenal year on the podcast. I got some great guests joining me on the podcast in the next couple of weeks here to close it out, find out who they are. Follow me on Instagram. Don't forget about the MyPillow deal. Get over to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code FATHERHOOD. Save up to 66% off on your entire order. And if you guys have the opportunity, please help me spread the word about this podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with former Navy SEAL Tommy Asito on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Tommy Aceto. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. I've been looking forward to this. So let's start like this. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Uh, I have four
0: kids. Um, They are 12, 10, and twin seven-year-olds.
1: We adopted the twin seven-year-olds. Very cool. So uh, if you could here, Tommy, I mean, uh, just take a second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do.
0: I was a Navy SEAL medic for 16 years. Um, Before that, I was an NCAA soccer player and a state champ wrestler out of Michigan. I wanted to be a pediatrician since I was six years old, and that didn't work out. Found myself in the SEAL teams right after college. I enlisted. Uh, A teammate of mine told me about the SEAL teams. I told him he was crazy, and he said, I was crazy, and I said, you're right, and that was about it. And so I went through BUDS training and found that life kind of prepared me pretty well for the SEAL teams. I was always in a team or in a fraternity and, um, I was always in athletics. Um, and so I just, um, really did well, I think in the beginning, um, with where I was, it gave me identity. I mean, you put a trident on your chest and you could become bulletproof. And so there's, um, there was a lot of purpose and a lot of a lot of work and and uh and I think after sixteen years I didn't realize the uh toll that it took on my mind and my moral compass and my um just uh you know kinda I call it programming but um I, I got out after sixteen years. Um it wasn't pretty. Um I had a, a really gnarly divorce. Um it hasn't been resolved um my ex-wife used the court system and the fact that i was a navy seal and uh basically made up a story that i was abusive and a drug addict and she was scared for her life so without much evidence or any evidence i uh i faced the california ca- court system as a combat seal and uh i didn't i don't think i was prepared for what i was going in for and i got my ass handed to me in court and uh, I basically lost my my uh, medical retirement, my kids, and my tried it in 10 days after 16 years.
1: Wow. Yeah. That, that's incredible. And I'll tell you what, if I get one email more than any other I get from dads across the country and I listen to the show here, it's usually emails that start like that about how they got their ass handed to them in the court. The family court system in this country uh, is heavily, heavily tilted against the fathers. And we're going to get into that. Uh, more in just a second here. And I, I would say, you know, I, I've known a lot of pediatricians over the years with my kids. None of them seem like they could make it through Bud. So that's quite a switch to go from uh, wanting to be a pediatrician. And I know the first time I met you, I mean, I felt like I was going through my own hell week. I mean, I was going through a heat stroke situation there. I was in yeah. a three-piece suit in a hundred degree weather and I didn't know if I was going to make it or not, but uh, I, I really, uh, I'm grateful for your service. Uh, I, I love what you do. So take me back to the beginning of this story here, Tommy. How old were you when you first became a dad and how did that experience shift your perspective on life? Yeah. yeah. So,
0: um, I, like I said, I wanted to be a, a baby doctor. So I always had a passion for kids. I think it was the, uh, the innocence that really did it for me. Just that, you know, when you're a kid, it's, you know, you're not stained by life and, and, uh, all the conflict involved in so I I mean I there's just that innocence. And um and so when I had my kids and the story kind of gets crazier and probably be a book or a movie or something someday. I hate to admit that, but you know, I, I this lady that I married was um connected to high level people and uh she didn't tell me who she was. And so I had a lot of I, I she basically used me to have kids. I mean that's that's the long and the short of it. Um, and, you know, I didn't really want to look at the situation I was in because I was occupied being a SEAL and being deployed and, you know, you're gone 10 months out of the year anyway. So it was, um, it was something that really affected me. I loved having kids. I mean, I, yeah, I raised them from, from the beginning and, uh, you know, up with them all night and doing the bottle thing and taking them to bike rides and you know i had a chance to take my two boys my oldest ones to the white house on a private tour uh before christmas um 2016 i was there at this uh program called the nico it's a head um trauma center um so you know being a explosive guy i had my 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 bell rung a few times and um a couple really gnarly falls out of a plane and and so I was there at this this Walter Reed Hospital getting 3 weeks of medical stuff done. Um it was pretty cool. It's like Jason Bourne medicine, uh eastern western medicine. And uh and my wife cuz she was connected to the Clintons, um I didn't know this, but she she got me in and I had a private tour um of the White House with my two boys. So that was that's something I always cherish. Um, I remember t- holding them up in my arms in front of the Abraham Lincoln portrait um, in that fire fireplace. And, yeah, it's hard. So I haven't really talked to them in a long time because I'm still going through the uh, this custody battle.
1: But um, when, when did the, when did the curtain come up here, Tommy? Like you say you were taken for a ride here. You didn't know who she yeah. was. When when was the aha moment or when did you feel like, man, I've been had like how did that yeah, well, kind of yeah. play out?
0: Yeah. So early on, my parents kind of did some research and they said she didn't think they didn't think she she was who she said she was. She was in Hollywood and she was a songwriter. And um, and so I I I just didn't want to look at it. And I asked her, asked her family. They all lied to me. And um, and so. um, um, I kind of knew, but I didn't want to know kind of thing. You know, they didn't tell me. And so years went on. And then what happened was at the end of the career, um, she told the command that I was uh, smoking marijuana. I was smoking marijuana, but I quit. I went to a biblical PTSD clinic called Mighty Oaks. And I went there for two weeks. I gave it up. And because I was on medication that Navy gave me, and I just, it wasn't working. The pills weren't working. Uh, I was actually having more suicidal ideations from the SSRIs and all the pills that, they push. And um, and so I decided to try to self-medicate. I was reading about the benefits of marijuana. And I was at a point in my career where I was already getting out because I was going through a medical um, board um, for uh, medical retirement. It got approved. And at that time, um, the marriage was dissolving. The kids were in constant, just toxic environment. Um, And I guess I wasn't smart enough to walk away. I wasn't um, I was so determined to fix whatever it was in in my family, and that' was probably the product of my my training um but I was just i think I was blinded by um my own ego and uh and what I thought needed to happen and how I could fix my family that, that there was nothing to really fix because i she used me <laughs> to have kids. So so that was that. But I, um, at the end, I mean, my CEO who basically said, you know, your your decision for your medical retirement's been revoked and um, I suggest you prepare because she's coming after you. And I was like, what? And so that was how I left the Navy after 16 years. Um, and uh, at that time, she he was right. Um, she had it all set up and uh, put a restraining order on me, which is standard protocol for a lot of women. Um and the more I looked into this I started hearing about guys that this happened to as well and I was like, I'll be damned. Like kind of made me feel good that I wasn't the only one, but um it made me realize like how big this problem is. And uh so fifty grand later, you know, they knocked my she was going for five year restraining order. I got three years. I basically the thing that she called the cops on was my kid threw a shoe at my back. I I was like, we're going to have to spank him because we were going through. Do we spank? Do we not spank? And then I said, no, he can't throw a shoe at the middle of my back. My my sciatic was out at the time, so he like nailed it. And um, it was because we were fighting. And so I went over to him. I grabbed him by the the foot. I pulled him out and I gave him three spankings over his jeans, you know, because I knew she was going to call the cops. And um, and she did. And they came and I told him what happened. And It was nothing. Nothing ever happened. But she would build these cases um, of me and she would morph the truth and basically get child's um, services involved. And then, you know, they have a case and no proof, just a case. And, you know, they always side with the safety of the child. And so looking back, you know, I could have handled this a hell of a lot different. But but I didn't I didn't know. And uh, and so that's how it happened.
1: Yeah, and Tommy, unfortunately, th- these type of stories are a dime a dozen and not to lessen your situation. I, I remember I had Sean Parnell on here. He's a, a former Army Ranger. Uh, he wrote the book Outlaw Platoon. He was in a very similar situation where his uh, a wife pulled all these kind of tricks out of the hat and took his kids away. And then what happens here, too, Tommy, is once um, you're not in the relationship with the kids, they control the narrative of who you are. And so they have the ability to tell them and create this person that you are and that they make now they take in their mind as the truth and who you really are. So it's hard to kind of win that back once you get their, that mindset in one direction. But when is the last time that you did get a chance to speak to your kids? And if you could speak to them right now, what would you tell them?
0: Yeah, the- the last time I um, I saw them or spoke to them or had any information about them was Father's Day 2019. Um, yeah. And then uh, I, you know, I went to get my stuff. She, of course, had the police there. and it, I, you know, told them what was going on. And so they let me go through the house and I left a, a card for my son under his pillow. I said, you know, it's, this isn't your fault. And I know you don't understand, but... I love you and uh, we'll get through this. And she used that in the courts as a breach in my my restraining order. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. Like I would have my friends grab them, you know, gifts for Christmas. And she would use that as a, you know, tampering with it and, you know, stupid stuff. But the thing is, this is, I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a very spiritual man. And I, I believe God has his hand in this. And, um, and I got to the point where having an incredible life, living in Music City, writing music, helping people get over addictions, you know, learning about this incredible psychedelic medicine and how it's helping our, our veterans and our, you know, all kinds of people. And um, I wouldn't be here, I don't think, if I didn't go through that, that became
1: the pain became my passion it's become my fuel. Wow. Uh, Well, I mean, God bless you, Tommy. And I I pray to God that uh, this works out with a chance where you'll get a chance to reconnect with your kids and build that relationship back. And I know that obviously you've been through a a lot of trauma in your life. Uh, We we, we see Navy SEALs on TV and we just think that they're superhumans. And when you get around these guys, you realize uh, just how human you guys are and and you're susceptible to all this, all this stuff. And I know I, I listened I had Sean Ryan on the podcast here, and I started listening to some of his interviews. He did one with DJ Shipley, who talked about going to NICO and getting involved with psychedelic uh, medication that helped him with this. And I know it's something that you're involved in. So I kind of wanted to to steer it over to this if I could. When did you first become aware of this psychedelic medicine? And is it what they're saying that it is? Is this some type of thing that can really help not only just with PTSD, but uh, civilians who have gone through some type of personal trauma in their own life?
0: Yeah. So I know DJ. I met him in Iraq, actually. He was a couple classes ahead of me. Um, I was in two five two. I think he was in like two forty seven or something. Um, anyways. Yeah. the medicine found me at the right as I was getting out of the Navy. I lost everything. I lost my family, my career, my identity. And uh, a good friend that I went through training with, his name was Johnny Wilson. He started a nonprofit called uh, Seal Future Fund. And he was working with Marcus Capone at the time and Dr. Martin Polanco and some other people. And, you know, they, you just realized that he said, Hey, we're doing this stuff. We're doing psychedelics. And I was like, you guys are doing psychedelics. You didn't tell me. And, um, but he's like, this ain't the kind that you, you don't, you don't take this for fun. This is like this, you might think you died. And I was like, what? So without a lot of background, I talked to Dr. Martin on the phone. And I just got out. They were waiting for me to get out because they didn't want me to do it while I was in. And um, and so right as I got out, I went to this r- a beautiful mansion in Rancho Santa Fe with um, a Vietnam seal that came with me. He actually blindfolded me <laughs> as we drove to the site. And I'm like, I did I did intelligence. Like, I get it. Like, I'm like, oh, this is role playing. But um, and then I met there. There was a M.D., and his wife was a healer, like a shaman. And um, they they said, you know, welcome to our home. And they kind of gave me a couple of minutes to relax. He sat on this bed and it was a little like, you know, woo-woo-ish or a lot of woo-woo, you know, earthy kind of stuff. And I'm a you know Christian background. I was going to mass with Jim Caviezel and Mike Sweeney from the Royals, John Lynch and Rancho Santa Fe. So like to come down the road and to do this. Toad, which was five MO DMT, comes from the a toad, and uh, I was like, "All right, what do I do?" And they're like, well, you're gonna let all your air out? And you're gonna suck this stuff through it's, you know, through a high end crack pipe, and you know, you're just gonna let that medicine get in there and hold it, and then let it go." And so I took a massive hit of this stuff, and it was exactly what if you ever interviewed Marcus Capone, it was kind of like him, where I just like everything in my body just cringed and fought. And that was my nervous system. That was my ego. That was my training. And after two rounds of this, the, I thought they were euthanizing me. I thought the government came in, I was damaged goods, and that this is the way I had to go out. And I was so much pain from not seeing my kids <clears throat> that I was just like, "I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. So I let my breath go and boom, I like clicked in and, saw this glow. And that's what they call the meeting God thing. It's very common with this medicine. But my story was my story. It's like everyone's different. And so that was the first time I did it a couple more times. The second time, I mean, I let, I surrendered the second time and went into the body of Christ, like insane stuff, this stuff we're doing. Um, But what we're finding is that there is an incredible reset neurologically that's happening. In fact, Stanford is studying our protocol right now. And there's about 144 different psilocybin, which is the mushroom research, uh, um, um, research projects going on right now just with the psilocybin. So the, the, the research is in this stuff does work. But like I say, the medicine should be a tool that you use to heal yourself. Because the true medicine is inside our our nervous system. It's dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and that balance of cortisol, which drives you into fear and survival mode and sympathetic lock, we call it. And that's kind of what PTSD is, is sympathetic lock.
1: And it seems like, like you said there, everything that we need to heal ourselves is already inside of us. And this is a vehicle that gives us access to all that stuff. And I've heard this. I mean, it it seems like it's becoming more and more mainstream or more and more popular. I know uh, Joe Rogan talks about it quite a bit on his show. Uh, I've heard more and more people talking about it. How quick do you think? And obviously, we we talk about the military. uh, There's 20, 22 suicides a day. We hear this all the time about veterans. More, right? Okay. Yeah. So uh, how quick are we looking at fast tracking this thing, Tommy, where this could become something that's at a local, uh, where you don't have to go to Mexico or you don't have to go to some crazy, uh, you know, psychiatric place yeah. to get access to this stuff. How soon are we looking at the timetable here before this becomes down down the corner for the local veteran at the VA?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what we're we're trying to get to. I went and spoke at a big, the biggest psychedelic conference in Miami a couple of weekends ago called Wonderland and um Rick Dublin the guy that's basically responsible for getting veterans this treatment legal. He runs an organization called MAPS out of San Francisco or San Jose. They're like the umbrella psychedelic like organization. And um he was a dang war do- or a draft dodger in Vietnam and he's like how crazy is it that I went from all this shame and you know being a draft dodger to helping veterans you know heal and their families um, and so he, him and guys like Paul Stemmets was there, the mushroom guy who was Joe Rogan's number one guest on this podcast um, and I talked to them and the veterans are the voice for the medicine we are the voice so if there's anyone out there's watching this veteran or not like we it's on us if we got some sort of relief or benefit or reset and it's helped us like we have to help others just like you're doing with this awareness of fatherless homes it's all about the awareness
1: yeah and, and tommy uh, as far as um obviously you, we're talking here primarily about military guys combat veterans stuff like that but is this stuff gonna is it the same thing as like women who have been through sexual trauma boys that have been abused as kids childhood traumas that civilians can't get over is it gonna hit is it gonna work that way as well mainstream civilians yeah, we all have the same hardware. All of our perspectives
0: on life is different. The hardware is the nervous system, and the thing is, in modern science and in medicine, it's all physical medicine. This is we're talking about energy here. We're talking about memories and feelings. Like that's not a thing where you can plug your finger into a reader and go, "You have a 9.865 uh, degree of pain from your past traumas." No like trauma is trauma. If you, somebody breaks up with you and you're hyperventilating, you know, like as a teenager, that's trauma on the nervous system, but it's mic- micro trauma, you know, it's life. We we all have wear and tear on our nervous system. And so whether it's getting in a car accident or going to combat or, you know, your dad beating you or your, somebody raping you, like trauma is trauma to the nervous system. And that's, you can't like point a finger and say this guy's trauma this guy this girl doesn't so yes this medicine not only does it treat for ptsd ptsd most people have ptsd they have addictions they have depression they have some sort of trauma in their childhood there's so much of this thing it's our life's the whole nervous system is basically a program that's been designed or been built and you know so that I think there's great value to this. It's not addictive. It creates neuroplasticity. You know, like this stuff really does work, but you have to use it with intention. That's the difference.
1: Yeah, and I would have two questions for this, uh, for it, Tommy, is number one, we've seen a rise in youth suicide since 2007. Youth suicide has gone up every single year. And I don't think it's a coincidence that 2007 is the first year we had a smartphone, but I think that social media and stuff has put a different strain on, I, I know just last year, Uh, One of the kids in my son's grade in high school uh, killed himself over a a breakup of a bad relationship. Mm -hmm. This year, my other son had a child in their grade that killed themselves over something else. And we're seeing and there's something that I don't remember ever hearing about as a kid growing up in school. I mean, you heard about rare cases of it. This has become crazy. So is there going to is there an age restriction and it, would kids under 18 be able to take this stuff? And the other question is, how long after the trauma are we talking about treatment? Because we, we seem to be saying things that happened in the past when you were a kid or when you were in combat, how soon after the trauma would you be able to take the psychedelics to help you start coping with this stuff?
0: Well, well one of the reasons why we switch from morphine to ketamine in the field is because of that. So we give ketamine now instead of morphine because it's it's a dissociative anesthesia. It's a horse tranquilizer. Ketamine is now the number one multi-multi billion dollar company or industry that's been legal to do these psychedelic experiments. That's the first one. Then the next one will be MDMA. The next one after that will be psilocybin, and then LSD. And when LSD arrives the right way, like it should have in nineteen, you know, forty-five, that 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 one is really going to do a lot of uh, um, a lot of good. But. The, It's important that people understand that we are building the protocols right now. We are the guinea pigs. My community, the special forces community, MMA fighters, you know, Wall Street guys, high egotistical jobs, high drive people that kind of led astray. Like that's who this thing works on the best because the program is wound up the tightest. So, yeah, for kids, I mean, we've treated – down in Mexico and Costa Rica, we've treated, you know, relationships, dad, sons. I can't tell you how many dad-son relationships have healed from this stuff or, or mom, daughter. Um, the dosages change. It's just like any other medicine. You know, I mean, you go to Africa and they've been using Ibogaine as a tribal medicine through their whole lifetime as a community. That's what they do. And that's how we got Ibogaine, which is the number one addiction treatment in the world. Heroin, alcohol, smoking, all of it. So yeah, it can help, but I don't think it's for everyone. You know, I have to say that because people say, well, it's it's just your perspective. But I would say that if you're dealing with something, and especially if if you're thinking about taking your life, well, this is another great alternative because you don't have to really die. You might die in the medicine, but you don't have to take your life. We have help. It's here.
1: Man, it it, it sounds so promising. And I pray to God that everything that I have heard about is true. I mean, I know that there are some people out there that are so many doubters. I know a lot more has to happen here uh, before we see it at a mainstream level. But uh, and thankfully that you guys are the guinea pigs and are going through this testing and stuff. So hopefully it could be a benefit to our society, not just in the special forces community, but uh, to our culture at live at large. And I want to bring it back then to you here, Tommy. Uh, what kind of advice would you say now, given the fact that I know everybody's situation is different, but what kind of, if you could do it all over again, in a sense, maybe, or if you have, if there's a dad out there listening that's just on the onset of this type of situation, a divorce, a co-parenting situation, Mm. what would you tell that dad?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I I think I I wasn't, I, I, I would say to any male out there, I would say, do not take a woman or a partner as your mate, unless you really, truly know who you are and love yourself. Because until you do that, you're really not capable of loving someone else. You have to start with the self. And I knew that that's kind of very theoretical, you know, because life happens. Um, But that would be the number one. Number two is if you're in a relationship and it is toxic, and I know the church is, you know, the church is very about keeping the family together. And I am too. But sometimes that family is the cancer that the kids are dealing with, and and I think we have to look at that from a, a very non-emotional, non-biased perspective and go, what is better for these kids? Can the parents coexist as partners and love each other and be amicable and respectable, you know, respectful to each other and create that environment? Is that better than being in a relationship and being completely toxic? I that's on. That's not for me to decide.
1: Yeah, it, well said, Tommy. And we we have, uh, uh, you know, I harp on it. We have so many kids that are growing up without that father in the home, and then we have no heavenly father in our society anymore. Uh, God's been taken out of our schools, out of uh, out of everywhere that we look. And it's it's. I think those two things combined are the biggest number one social issues that we have in our country. And I think if we got them two things together. I think most of our problems would just really start to go away, medicine or not. I think if you had kids that had more dads connected to them and in their homes and in their lives and be present, not just dads that are just there, but dads that are present and that show up and are doing the right thing. I mean, there's no supplement for that. And mm-hmm. I think it would just it, man, so many of our issues would really go away quickly.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I, mean, I, it, I, I don't say this without, I don't say this with judgment and it, You know, I work with a lot of men or talk to guys that, have that ability to be in their kid's life and they don't. And it's hard for me not to be um, judgmental because I would literally, I would do a lot to see them, but I can't. So, you know, if you have an opportunity to do so, you know, don't think about the pain, think about the direction that you can envision one day with your kids and that relationship, just keep going there in your mind. And stop thinking about the past in the direction you want to go with your kids, and I think that will give guys a lot of strength to keep, um, you know. And it's not easy because, like, I know my ex-wife was. They don't make them any darker than that, but um, you know, it's you got to do what you got to do, and you most importantly, you got to take care of yourself too. If you love yourself and you're like on that road of finding that then, you know, you're more likely you can, you're going to, that relationship is going
1: to come back into your, your life. Yeah, We're Grace. Great stuff, Tommy, and I know that I can hear it in your voice. I know I I know the passion that you have for your kids and being a dad, and I know that so many dads listening will connect with you. And I'm I'm grateful the fact that you're talking about it openly and honestly because it will help uh, dads that are out there going into these similar situations. And like I said, I get no more more messages than that dads are going through these uh, difficult times. So I appreciate you speaking on it. I know, listen, I know that you're involved in a lot of different things. I know you're a musical guy. You're 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 a movie documentary guy here. Besides all the stuff that you've done uh, for the country and for us here and for our freedom. But what are you working on right now? What kind of projects are you working on? What's coming up for you here?
0: Well, yeah, a couple of documentaries about the medicine and how it's um, impacting our community, the veteran community specifically, but also with addict addictions um, and uh, mental illness. Um, I have been writing some music. I was uh, kind of a life coach for an up and coming singer songwriter for the last nine, nine months. Or 10 months. And um, he was out the streets of Memphis, was in jail, uh, wrote his songs, found God. Um, but he had a whole life of addiction, starting at 12 years old, doing cocaine with his mom's boyfriends. And so, you know, we had a lot of work to do. And I used a lot of the work that I've done with the men in the and in, in our NSW families um, on him. And um, it really did come down to the identity. It was really the work you know, the self work, I call it the, uh, the neurological programming, the I am statement, you know, Jesus said, I am the, I am. Well, that neurologically says a lot because what we do is we tell ourselves, I am, I am fill in the blank. I am lazy. I am fat. I am ugly. I am no good. I am a cheater. I'm, am, I'm, am. so that attacks your noun. That's who you are. So there's an identity issue. And I really think, you know, besides from the fatherless home, we have an identity crisis in this, in this, in our culture, because we're trying to show the world who we are, and that's not who we are. And it gets heavy, you know. Like for me, like I created these i person personas to get out validation: state champ wrestler, NCAA soccer player, all you know, whatever, all that crap. It was just to uh, get that drug of dopamine, I think, of of affirmation. And it's when I lost that that I had to face and that for the first time in my life at 38, that's like four years ago, I, I recognized that I didn't know who I was. I was just being who I wanted the world to see. And I think there's some of that's never really going to go away because we're human beings, but it sure as hell reset my perspective on that. And when I started to be myself, like creative storyteller and helping people, That's who I am. And my life is taken off because of that.
1: It's so important, Tommy. And I know just like you said there, uh, that I am works in every direction. So it's like God says, I am the light. I am the darkness. Uh, You know, I wound, I heal. I kill, I make alive, and it, it, none can be delivered out of my hand. So it's uh, you have it either direction. So it's how you choose to use it. And so many people, because I think again, I think social media creates this fallacy of people's lives that they're trying to live up to or create this path that's really not them. And man, it's having a, a big problem in our society as well yeah. too. So yeah, I mean, what do you do to a kid that's trying to? He's coming into the world, going, okay, I'm I'm a I'm a boy.
0: That's my role model. And I watch him and I watch that. And, and now, oh, shoot, if I don't get that girl or make that varsity team or go to this college or become this profession that, you know, my worth is affected by that. And I'm not saying we're all driven egotistically like that. There's a lot of good that, you know, that drive to do like for me, be a SEAL or whatever. Like that wasn't all bad. It was there's a lot of good. But we just have to be more aware, of. I believe, if we're active in the spirit or in the flesh, you know, and, and that's, you know, Christian language, but that, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, you have a choice, what you want to leave behind in this world, what energy, you know, people say, well, thank you for your service. And I'm like, I love serving because I get dopamine. I get affirmation from it. When I help someone, I feel like I a million bucks. So like, if there's any identity to have outside of who you are, it's probably that helping people. But even that, like the I am, I used to say I am love. That was my meditation, my prayer, my cadence when I was running. I'm love. But then I thought, you know, I'm human. And that's all, both the bad and the good, you know. And so I just said I am. And that's, you know, they say Yahweh is the breath and Xing Yahweh is the breath.
1: So fascinating. Yeah fascinating stuff. I'm going to drop a link in this, in the podcast description here to your Instagram account. So people can get over there, check you out, find out more about you. I'm going to try to put a bow on this here. Cause I'm running up against it. Last thing I want to hit you with. I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast here. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father? Who's out there listening
0: be present. And um, we don't have all the answers. If you're a new dad, just enjoy the, the, the journey and the mistakes and the failures enjoy the moment because if you put your head on the end state, you're going to miss everything.
1: I, I, I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Tommy Asito, you're a first class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on first class fatherhood. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You have been listening to first class fatherhood. First class fatherhood is a family made media podcast. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details you can order first class fatherhood advice and wisdom from high profile dads on amazon.com or wherever books are sold thank you for listening to today's podcast proverbs 22 6 tells us train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will never depart from it god bless and i'll catch you next time